North Carolina has just one more buy game opportunity before heading down to Atlantis next week for the first major competition of the season. What can the Tar Heels do on Friday night against UC Riverside to finish off preparation? You are Locked on Tar Heels, your daily podcast on the UNC Tar Heels, part of the Locked on Podcast Network, your team every day. Hey there, what's up? It's Thursday, November 16th, 2023. Welcome into the Locked on Tar Heels podcast, the only daily North Carolina show out there. I'm your host, Isaac Shea. Joining me is our guy, Coach Bill Robinson, the head coach of the Milligan University Buffaloes, fresh off a big victory last night. Coach, congrats. What's the record at right now? Thanks. Two and one of all three conference games. That's the the joy of being in the AAC, AAC, not the ACC, is that we get uh, 24 conference games and only play 28 games, so it starts right away. That's crazy. Four non-con games. Carolina is getting into their third already in the first three games of the season. Wild stuff. Folks, we want to thank you everydayers for making Locked on Tar Heels your first listener watch every single day. If you're a guest or a first-timer, welcome back or welcome in for the first time. We're so glad you're here. Hey, if you're interested in being more part of this community, come join our Discord where we're having great Carolina conversation all day long. The link for that is in the show notes. Today's episode is brought to you by LinkedIn. These days, every new potential hire can feel like a high-stakes wager for your small business. That's why LinkedIn Jobs helps find the right people for your team faster and for free. So post your job right now at linkedin.com slash locked on college. Terms and conditions apply. It's going to be a fun show today coming up as always with Coach. We're going to have story time at the end. A fun story about one of Coach's first experiences at a certain uh, North Carolina opportunity for him. And we're going to talk about some new rule changes this year, a specific one that uh, we got to just figure out what it's doing in college basketball right now. But before we get to all of that conversation, Coach Carolina has had two bye games so far, Radford and Lehigh. Um, Both of them double-digit wins, but neither of them like mind-blowing blowout kind of games as Carolina's just been working to find what works and what doesn't work and all of that. So obviously we know there's one more bye game right before ACC play, but this one tomorrow night against UC Riverside is the last like tune-up before the bulk of the toughest part of the non-conference portion of the schedule. And folks, it is a bonkers portion. So this is really it. And so what I want to talk about here right at the beginning is, Coach, I want you to put yourself in Coach Davis's shoes or your own shoes, you know, before a game like this. How would you be treating this last tune-up before the battle for Atlantis, before Tennessee, before UConn in Kentucky? Yeah, first of all, this is kind of a personal one for me. I had a buddy of mine, Dennis Cutts. He used to be the uh, head coach at UC Riverside, got fired a few years ago. So wow. I would love to see him just beat, beat him really bad uh, this weekend. <laughs> but, um, that aside, you're, he's looking for – He first of all, Hubert doesn't care what the score is when it comes to, hey, beat him by 20, beat him by 30, beat him by 50. It doesn't matter. He wants to, to play well. Um, he's from that old school where they just don't – they don't look at the score. Uh, Coach Williams was taught by Coach Smith not to, you don't look at the score in the first half at all. I'm terrible at that. I look at the score too much, probably. Uh, and, and Coach probably too situationally, but he's worried about playing well, doing the little things. Are they executing? Are they staying in front of their man? Are they, are they giving up any offensive rebounds, making sure everybody gets their box out? 
Are they are they all on the same page? If they're calling a set, is everybody doing what they're supposed to be doing? That's the little thing right now that they're just trying to, you know, be crisp about it and making sure that everybody's doing what they're supposed to do. Coach, I've always wanted you brought it up. I didn't intend to ask you this, and I know you're saying you don't do a good job of this, but is that a real thing you can actually do? Like actually not look at the scoreboard? Because I know that I could not. Coach Williams, that's the way that they were taught. That's the way he was taught. And um, I hate to go back to 2008 with the whole, you know, d- didn't call a timeout in the first half. He didn't know what the score was. You know, he said, I, I just don't look. I do. I, I like to look. And, and there will be times uh, I had a situation last night. Um, we're, we're up, you know, second half by 24. And I look up and I say, hey, if it gets under 20, I'm calling timeout. So there's a firm number. I know exactly, you know, if, if a run happens, I want to know what that number is. And that's kind of what my staff's for, too. You know, if it gets to, to that 6-0, type run, we want to stop it. Um, no, here's the other thing people don't, don't understand. Um, we get six timeouts. We have no media timeouts. I right. get to control the game way better than Huber does. So that's probably part of it, too. They're, they're just waiting for that next media timeout. And fortunately, I don't like coaching that way. But, uh, it, you know, <laughs> I don't have to deal with that. So, okay. Knowing that this is like the last shot before, and I know all due respect to Northern Iowa, that I guess in a, in a some way is some sort of one more tune up when you start in Atlantis. But by that point, it's like every game is a big time game because if you don't win that one, then you're in the loser's bracket and it's a whole thing. So would you treat this game the same way as the Radford and Lehigh games where you're continuing to try sets, continuing to test out different personnel groups, you know, like we had seen oh, what, whatever that lineup was against Lehigh where Zayden High was playing the five, basically. Or are you starting to go ahead and whittle things down uh, n- even now and just get a little more firm roles and ideas and things like that heading down to Atlantis? Wh- which side of that would you lean more towards right now? I, w- I want to get my my roster, I mean, my my lineup set as quickly as possible. Okay, so now we're in a situation. We played a couple games, we got some guys, get some run. Now we got to find the continuity. We've got to find the lineups that we really like. And uh, it's not time to shorten the rotation yet, but it's definitely, t- you know, that Northern Iowa game, you know, they, they need to win that game. And, and that's different than just, uh, you know, just a regular season game. It's a tournament game. They want to they win that tournament. They want to get some momentum going. Um, it's time for me to really get more serious about, uh, you know, that 8-9, however many he's going to get into. But yeah, I would not expect to see that get into 10 or 11, uh, not for that game. Okay, good. So th- we're moving then more into like real game mode now. It's it's not test things out, try it, let Lehigh get the lead down to three. This is like very serious. We're going, we're doing it. So I, I almost, th- is it like a, a fair and healthy comparison? Like I think about, I'm a baseball guy, right? Like when you get to those last couple games of spring training, you're, you're kind of really getting to the point where it's the dudes now or, uh, you know, like, I know in, in football, it's kind of the opposite. That last game you're getting, last game of uh, preseason, you're getting in the guys to see who's going to get cut and not. But, you know, ultimately it's like, no, this, we're really honing in now on what it is we're going to actually be doing. Um, more of the actual lineups we're going to be playing throughout ACC play. Is, is that a good way to look at it? 
Yeah, I think the roles are starting to be more c- cemented, if that makes any sense. You, you you know where RJ stands, you know where Armando stands, but everybody else, they're still trying to get the feel for exactly what, what their role is, and everybody's starting to mesh together, and, and he, I think it's to the point now where he's going to solidify that and say, hey, listen, we, you know, we've had our exhibition games, we've had these first few games, this is where you fit right now. You're going to be the first guard off the bench. You're going to be the second post off the bench. You know, hey, you know, we're going to mix in some starters here and there. I still think I see Paxton eventually coming off the bench, but I think, you know, he's kind of it's time to solidify some of that stuff. Everybody knows exactly where they stand. And then and then you just got to play. But uh, you don't want to shorten it too much this this early. Um, stuff happens. You have injuries. You have, you know, whatever happens, attitudes, different things. You have guys who miss class or miss a workout or whatever. You have to have that nine, ten guy ready to step in at any time. It, this is the time you still have to keep them uh, happy with their minutes and still keep them engaged. So uh, I still expect them to play 9, 10, 11 guys, but uh, not major minutes. You said that about Paxson and the starting lineup. At what point, if if you're going to make a change there, is this the time to do it? Or do you wait and see like, hey, we've we've used this starting lineup twice now. Let's see what it looks like when we're playing uh, Villanova or Texas Tech on Thanksgiving Day or Arkansas or whoever it is in that last game of Battle for Atlantis? Do you test it out with that? Or do you go ahead and make a switch like tomorrow night against UC Riverside? What would you do? I see him staying in that lineup for a little while. The thing about Paxton is he's such a great kid. He sees the big picture. He's mature enough to understand that at any time his role could change. And he doesn't care. Uh, I, know, I know him well enough to know he just wants to win. And if winning means him starting, they'll start. If winning means he'll come off the bench, he'll come off the bench. He just wants to, to, to be able to impact uh, any way he can. And he's just that type of kid. I mean, he's just that great a teammate. And uh, I don't think he's expecting to start all year. I don't think he, he, he understands if he plays well, he's going to get time, regardless of whether it's starting or not. And uh, he just wants to win. And that's the type of kid you want to have on your program. You just love a kid like that because he, he's all about we. He doesn't care about me. Yeah. Man, love that. That's absolutely the kind of guy Hubert Davis, you know, once he said it over and over. And that's what, part of why Paxson Wojcik is in Chapel Hill. Now, Coach, let me ask you to put yourself in Coach Davis's shoes one last time. Uh, last question kind of for this segment. If if you were coaching this UC Riverside game, what would be two or three critical things that you would want to take away before you hit the plane down to Atlantis from Friday night's game? Yeah. Number one thing for me is the defensive intensity. You know, what, what's the field goal percentage for them? I mean, our defensive field goal percentage, we've got to keep them in that uh, low 40s, even high 30s, uh, because they shouldn't have the athletes. They shouldn't be able to, to execute against the defense that we have. And, and that, I'm looking to see that's a big deal for me. Second thing would be offensive rebounds for them. You know, how well do we defend, but also can we finish the possession? Um, I'm not worried about points as much as if we defend and rebound the way Carolina team should, everything else will take care of itself. That will get the pace going. We'll be able to play that fast tempo that we're trying to get to. And uh, those are the two biggest things for me. Um, and then the, the third thing would be offensive execution. Are we running our stuff? Are we getting shots where we want to get our shots? Uh, are, are we just having to rely on, on breaking somebody off the dribble? We should be able to execute. We should be able to get the shots in the areas that we want. Those are three big things for me. Interesting. What's so interesting to me about that, and and I I hear what you're saying and agree with it. And but what's interesting about it is you didn't start with anything offensive. The two most critical pieces there that you just named were both 
defensive-minded and defensive-focused. And so, uh, folks, for those of you listening, for those of you watching, sure, the offense is fun, and that's, you know, it's uh, the the box score is all about who scored and, and assists and all that. But make sure you're zoning in on that as well. Like, watch for these defensive things that Coach is talking about because that's what's going to keep you in a game even when the shots aren't falling. So that is a critical uh, piece, both of those, the the uh, defense itself and then finishing those defensive possessions with the rebound. So keep your eyes out for that. Thank you, Coach, for those great points. Now, speaking of playing defense, block charge calls have been one of the most difficult and inconsistently adjudicated plays in college basketball for a long, 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 long time. So once again, we got new language on block and charge this season. We're all still trying to figure it out a little bit. So are the refs. We got to know, is it twerking? How do you take advantage of it? Why are we seeing things different? All of those kind of questions. We're going to try to unpack that with Coach in just a second. Right after I tell you that this episode of Locked on Tar Heels is brought to you by LinkedIn. These days, every new potential hire can feel like a high stakes wager for your small business. You want to be 100% certain that you have the access to the best qualified candidates available. So that's why you got to check out LinkedIn Jobs, which helps you find the right people for your team faster and for free. It's honestly super easy to create one a job post on LinkedIn Jobs. And after that, you add that job and the purple hashtag hiring frame to your profile so that you can spread the word that you're hiring. After that, you can use simple tools like screening questions to help you focus on candidates with just the right skill set and experience so you can quickly identify who you'd like to interview and then ultimately hire for your team. All of this is why small businesses rate LinkedIn Jobs number one in delivering the quality hires versus leading competitors. LinkedIn Jobs helps you find the qualified candidates you want to talk to faster. Post your job for free right now at linkedin.com slash locked on college. Again, that's linkedin.com slash locked on college to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. This episode is also brought to you by our friends at Athletic Brewing. It's time for your game changer of the week, brought to you by Athletic Brewing Company. Much like Armando Baycott's ridiculous performance against Lehigh on Sunday, Athletic Brewing has completely changed the non-alcoholic beer game. They make non-alcoholic beers that actually taste good, full flavor, and well-crafted just like a full-strength beer. Seriously, Armando's line, 22 points, 20 boards, and 6 for 6 from the free throw line. That's been the biggest revelation of his game to me this season, 11 of 12 from the charity stripe so far. Athletic Brewing has over 50 styles of craft non-alcoholic beer, including IPAs, Goldens, Sours, and more, and their brews are fit for all times. You can drink them anytime, anywhere. So settle in as you're watching Battle for Atlantis next week and act uh, in more enjoyable. Make that moment feel that way, like watching a big game. You can find Athletic Brewing Company's non-alcoholic beer brews at a store near you or buy online at athleticbrewing.com. First-time customers can use code LOCKEDON to get 15% off your first online order. Again, that's code LOCKEDON at checkout for 15% off at athleticbrewing.com. Near beer, exclusions and conditions apply. Athletic Brewing Company, fit for all times. Coach, uh, we got new charge rules in college basketball this year. And, uh, you know, I think for folks who are are used to watching uh, the Zebras get duped into some uh, questionable charge calls as they feel the momentum of the crowd, uh, they're seeing those not often called right now. And I think because we're so accustomed to that it's a little bit jarring 
So let me just read the verbiage of the legal guarding position update, and then we'll just talk about it some. So rule 4-17.4.D of the rule book states, quote, established legal guarding position on an airborne player with the ball, the defender must establish legal guarding position before the opponent places the last foot on the floor prior to becoming airborne. So coach, first, if you would, just interpret that for us in layman's terms. If I'm the defensive player and I want to draw a charge, what do I got to do to make it legal? You got to have both feet set on the floor outside the arc before the last step is taken. So essentially, you've got to be almost sitting there waiting for the guy. It, it, it's going to take the charge out of the game. Um, I think in our first three games, we may have had one charge block even tried to take. We did wow. three last night. When I watched film today, I think they got all three of them wrong. Um, <laughs> last year, they would have been right. Last year, they were right. This year, I think they were wrong. But again, you know, it, it is what it is. But we, we, we get sent a video by the NCAA that sends, of course, the NIA gets a copy of that, of what the rule changes are, what the point of emphasis is. And we as coaches watch it. We sit down. We Just so we're able to, honestly, I, I don't want to say this too loud, just so we know how to argue with officials better. <laughs> okay, so we're, we're going to make sure we understand the verbiage and everything else, and we, we can say what we need to. But this year, for the first time in a long time, we, we sat the team down, said, hey, here's some things. Instead of me trying to explain what the new rules are, here is what's going to happen. And uh, I think they had – somebody said they did research at 91 charge block calls from last year, and out of those 91, like 80 of them this year would be called a block. Wow. And – I think the easiest thing to explain to, to to you would be the closer you are to the offensive guy, the better chance you have of getting a block or getting a charge call. If there's more space and the guy's got a long, he took off longer away, then they're going to assume you weren't really set before that guy took his last step. So that's the thing I look for. You know, if it's close and you've got a chance for it to be a, a charge, but if there's space between that offensive and that defensive guy, more than likely it's going to be called hmm. a block. So as coach, as a basketball fan, do mm -hmm. you love this? Do you hate it? Or are you indifferent to it? As somebody who just the thing loves about, basketball. Yeah, the thing about charge blocks is that they become contagious and, and it kind of mucks up the movement because it just becomes more physical. And uh, again, the stereotype of that Midwest big 10, you know, <laughs> everybody's trying to sit in and take a charge. And I think, that's what they don't want basketball to look like. They want it to have flow. They want to see guys being able to move that freedom of movement with cutters. And you can't chuck anybody anymore. If a guy cuts through the lane, you have to let him go and you have to be able to chase him. That's what they want. They want to see the pretty, the beauty of the game come back where guys are really moving in the flow. So how do you defend that? You have to, you have to get airborne and go straight up hands back. And uh, it's going to, it's going to be an advantage to the guys that are, the teams that have long athletic post players, shot blockers, they want to see a shot block and the transition to the other end more than they want to see somebody in there trying to take charge and undercut somebody. Hmm. So um, is there a, a safety dynamic to this? Because I feel like so many times when we've seen guys like sliding in last second to try to grab one of these, and like you're saying, it, it undercuts an airborne player or somebody who's close to it. I just always like cringe in my seat because I'm so worried about this dude coming down on his head or busting his elbow or something. 
Is, is there a, in, in addition to the offensive flow, which I think is the, the critical piece of this, do you think it's going to help aid safety stuff as well? I do. And I think part of that is you can't practice it. We used to practice when I was a younger coach and a dumb coach, we used to practice taking charges and invariably somebody would get hurt. You go knee to knee or somebody get off balance, somebody end up with their chin on the floor. I mean, literally, these are things that happen to us in practice or somebody would t- twist an ankle. Somebody would land on somebody. It, it, it's really a hard piece to, to how do you practice that in a safe way? There are some ways, but um, to do it at live speed is very difficult. So I do think there's a safety aspect to it. You got uh, maybe more athletic guys than you had before. And uh, you get up underneath somebody and they end up, you know, flipping a cartwheel and somebody ends up hurt and you don't want that to happen. So uh, I think the safe thing is, you know, have somebody go up and try to block a shot, uh, stay vertical. They weren't going to call it a foul, um, no. but they won't even let anybody just stay, stay down. If you are in the arc and you're just standing in your own way, if somebody bumps you, it's going to be a, a blocking foul. So they want you to at least get airborne and, and go straight up with it. So will this be a good thing for defenders of the leaky black mold? The guys that do that early work where they don't have to try to block your shot or don't have to try to slide in last minute as a help defender, where it's like, I've already done this early work on my defender where I can just stay between man and ball, or excuse me, between man and rim and and keep him off that way. Like, is it a benefit to that type of defender? It is. And, and leaky was also a great help side guy. So it's not just me on my guy. It's me helping off on that next guy. Because if somebody gets beat off the dribble, because you're not allowed to touch anybody anymore. You reach out and touch somebody to foul. They want everything to be back. So and people are going to get beat off the dribble more than ever. And guys are quicker and I mean, more, maybe more creative on how they use the dribble now. That, that backside guy has got to be there. And where we used to step over and try to take a charge, now they're stepping over and trying just to go vertical and hope the guy misses a shot, grab the rebound, and let's run. But uh, it does definitely change the uh, the defensive philosophy uh, that most people are going to have. Well, and I feel like for so many teams, and this obviously includes Carolina, there's already this, we don't do a good job of stopping dribble penetration. So coach, when that is true, what do you do? How do you adjust that so that that your guards or the help defenders, especially in this no contact on drivers, in the no sliding in to take these charges that we're talking about, how can Carolina like either do better with this or take advantage of the new rules. Um, we, you know, we were just talking about those defensive principles in the last segment. What, what can Carolina do in, in the moment like this where it's harder than ever? I know what we do, and, we, and I know Hubert won't, but we like to change defenses. We'll go zone. We'll, we'll put two guys on the ball or, or even go 3-2 where we can kind of put an umbrella around the perimeter and try to keep everybody in front that way. I know Hubert won't do that. He'll just challenge his guys and say, keep them in front. You stay on the floor. Don't keep them in front. You're going to sit down. And that's a great motivator too. Um, but it, it does put in much more premium on where the help side guys are, making sure there's somebody there to challenge somebody at the rim. And uh, you know, they've got the athletes to do that. And that's where that defensive intensity is. For this game, this next game, can they stay in front of an inferior opponent, knowing that they should be able to win twenty plus? Do they still have that that discipline, that intensity, just to sit down and guard somebody? Steve Robinson told me that one time. We were having a little session talking about defense, talking about changing defenses, talking about, and he looked at me and said, "Bill, sooner or later, you just got to sit down and guard somebody." Wow. And I've never forgotten those are great words, and it's true. And and I've I probably have said that more times this year than. Than uh, I have in a, lot, a long time, just 
hey, sooner or later, you just got to sit down and guard somebody. Just you, man, ball, just keep them in front. And uh, if the guys do a good job of that, then, uh, you know, we're pretty good defensively. Yeah. And uh, I can't count the number of times I've said it on the show already this season, but this is what elite teams do. Even when they play an inferior opponent, they rise to that challenge and say, "Now nah, I'm shutting you down. Let's do it. So uh, once again, talking about looking at the defensive side of the court, we will be doing that tomorrow night as Carolina hosts UC Riverside inside the Dean Dome at eight o'clock on ACC Network. Well, nothing brings together a group of people like a great story from a great storyteller. It's once again time to hear a wonderful tale from our guy, Coach Rob, and you're in for a good one today, folks. So buckle up, because we're going to get to it in just a second. Right after I tell you that this episode of Locked on Tar Heels is brought to you by Prize Picks. You want to play alongside some of Prize Picks' favorite players like rapper Meek Mill or comedian Andrew Schultz? You can now find community plays under the Promos tab of the app to view entries from some of the biggest names in the Prize Picks community every week. And now with the basketball season here, you can pick combo projections across football and basketball from the Specials League, a league created specifically for combo projections that include two or more players from different sports or leagues. For example, you could take LeBron James three-pointers made plus Travis Kelsey receptions and smash it together and set the number at 10 and a half. You go in more or less. What a fun way to do it, right? Prize picks is the easiest and most exciting way to play DFS. It's just you against the numbers you pick more or less on two to six players' stat projections and then just watch to see what happens. For example, tonight at Thursday Night Football, Lamar Jackson passing yard set at 224 and a half against the Bengals. Gonna be interesting to see what he does in the air. How much can he get on the ground? Will he need to take to the air that often? Gonna be an interesting call. If you want to get in on that, go to prizepicks.com slash locked on college and use code locked on college for a first deposit match up to $100. Again, that's prizepicks.com slash locked on college and use code locked on college for a first deposit match up to $100. Prize picks, daily fantasy sports made easy. Coach, uh, we are so happy to be joined by you as we have been every week for a good long while now. For those of you who are new to the show, Coach Robinson, again, the head coach of the Milligan University Buffalo's men's basketball team, is a two-decade veteran of Carolina's summer basketball camp. And he's just been compiling stories. He's working on putting them into a book right now. And so every week, he's gracious enough to share one of those stories with us. And today's story is actually a fun one of a personal experience he had. So as always, cozy up, get your blanket, do whatever you need to do. And let's hear today's story from Coach Bill Robinson. All right. We've talked a lot about Porky Spencer and his relationship with Coach Williams. And uh, that's how I got into camp uh, 20 years ago. And uh, after my first summer, and this was the 2004-2005 season, uh, which was a pretty good one for Carolina fans. And uh, Porky, you know, we we're trying to find a, a, a time for us to go to a game in the Smith Center. I'd never been at a game. I'd worked camp there, but I had never been to a basketball game at the Smith Center. So uh, because of my schedule, the only time we could go was over Christmas break. They were playing Cleveland State. It was not a big, big time game. Porky called Coach Williams for tickets, and we just go down there. And um, standing outside the office, Coach Williams pulls up. There's a whole bunch of people, and he sees Porky in the back. And he says, "Hey, Porky." He said, "Hey, Coach." He said, "I think you'll like your seats tonight." He says, "Why is that, Coach?" He said, "I'll see you in there." And that's all he said. He walked in his office. <laughs> so Porky and I go in. We get our tickets. Uh, we're walking in the concourse. We we show our tickets to the Usher, he said, oh, you guys are down there. 
We go to the next usher. He goes, oh, you guys are down there. We go to the third guy. And he like looks at me, looks at Porky, looks at, he goes, you guys must know somebody. And I said, well, why is that? He said, come on. We were in seat one, seat two on the floor outside the tunnel where the big time recruits, I mean, in front of the student section, in front of, I mean, all that. And we were literally, uh, I had my feet on the floor, on the wood floor for my first game in, in, uh, in the Smith Center. Uh, Sean May caught a, a one-alley-oop dunk and it made the season highlight video. And you can see Porky and I, you can see our legs. You can see that's about all you can, but we are definitely in the video. See that dunk. But, um, you know, I, I told a story a couple of weeks ago about my first Carolina game was in the Meadowlands and I was about four rows from the top. So the first time I ever saw him play, I had to use binoculars to see the game. And the second game I saw, they had to they had to stand in front of us when the team came out of the tunnel to make sure we didn't get in the way. So uh, it, it had been a pretty, pretty big upgrade from the first game to the second game that I, I ever got to see. But uh, that was an amazing, amazing experience. Wow. What a what a dichotomy between those first two games. Uh, but what a special treat to get to uh, see up close and personal Coach Williams' first national championship team. I love that moment that that you guys saw him beforehand. He's like, hey, uh, see you in a little bit. Like, what a cool way to kind of let you in on that without really knowing, man. That's that's neat. That's probably my favorite part of that whole story. Uh, and cool. you made the highlight. I got to go find this video and, and see your legs, Coach. <laughs> if I find it, I'll send it to you. I'll text it to you when I when I find it. <laughs> I love it. Well, then, uh, if coach finds that and sends it to me, I'll, I'll tweet it out or something so everyone can go find coach's legs. You see, his, for those of you watching, you see his upper body every week, and now you can see the bottom half of Coach Bill Robinson. <laughs> coach, this is great. We are hard to believe we are one week to the day from Thanksgiving, and uh, I know we'll get there, but even before uh, a week beforehand, just want to tell you how thankful I am for you and uh, how fun it's been to continue developing our relationship these past months so thank you coach a lot goes well thank you of course folks that's it for today's episode of locked on tar heels i'm also so thankful for all of you that tune in and hang out with us every day uh man it just is such a blast and i hope you enjoy it as much much as coach and i do if you'd like to enjoy it even more again hop into the discord and have even more conversation with us would absolutely love to have you there you can also email the show LockedOnTarHeels at gmail.com. Have some great conversations with folks there as well. If you would, subscribe to the show on audio and video platforms. If you're watching, would you smash the like button so that we know you are here? And we'd love to hear your comments on today's show as well. want to remind you that it's always a great day to be a Tar Heel. Be right back with you tomorrow to get ready for the UC Riverside matchup as well as Carolina football's big time matchup with Clemson on Saturday. We'll get back to you over the weekend to unpack those games. But until then, peace.